John 15, 1 and 2. I am, the, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will, it will be even more fruitful. This is the word of the Lord. Go ahead and have a seat. Imagine this scene with me. Jesus and his disciples are invited to a wedding. Perhaps you know the story. You know, it's early days in Jesus' ministry. He's been teaching about the kingdom of God. He's had a few uh, followers. And now he's invited with his small band of followers to this wedding. His mom happens to be there as well. And you know what unfolds, right? The host, who like probably myself, as a father of a wedding that's coming up, my daughter's getting married in March. There's a, thank you. She's not here, but I'll tell her you said that. You can only imagine the host getting the news from the wait staff that the wine has run out. Jesus' mom overhears and says, my son will take care of it. Do whatever he says. And it's like this funny little mother and son interaction right there. She's like, Jesus, do it. And Jesus is like, mom, now's not the time. She doesn't even respond. She just says to the wait staff, do whatever he tells you. So this is weird miracle, right? Jesus tells the wait staff, fill up these large, like 20 to 30 gallon, like picture a giant plastic garbage can, but they weren't, they were made of stone, they were ceremonially clean, but giant 20 to 30 gallon cisterns. And Jesus says, fill those with water. So you can only imagine the wait staff looking at each other, shrugging and being like, well, this woman had a lot of confidence in her adult son, so we're gonna do it. They do it. And then there's no like, waving his hand over the water, no wink. I mean, maybe he looked at his mom and winked. He seems like he's a little bit perturbed at her. But whatever happens, he says next, okay, now are those full with water? Yes, they're full. Now dip some out and taste it. So you can only imagine the waitstaff rolling their eyes. They do it, and then their eyes brighten, and it's the best wine they've ever tasted. The guests are even amazed. They even say things like, you know, most people serve the good wine first and then when people have had too much to drink, they serve the poor stuff later. But you, to the host, you can just see him puffing up. You've saved the best to last. He's like, yes, I have. (laughs) Now, this is a great miracle for a number of reasons. It's so ordinary and mundane. It's so trivial, really. I mean, they ran out of wine. It's not a healing of sickness. It's not a deliverance of the demonic. I mean, at real base, the essence of this miracle is transformation. I mean, think about it. It was water. Then they dipped their ladles. I don't know what they served. Cups. I don't know what it was. 32 ounce jug. They dipped something in there and then bam, it's this exceptional wine. I mean, isn't that a strange miracle? Jesus takes what's very ordinary and common. I mean, water is valuable in the ancient Near East in the first century, for sure. Everybody needs it. You can't live without it. 
but it is common. Everybody has it. He takes this common, ordinary substance and turns it into the extraordinary. It's transformation. And what's interesting, family, is that's exactly what Jesus is still doing today. He takes us, you and I, tempted, weak, ordinary, common. He does some kind of miraculous transformation in my life, in your life, and turns us into agents of the kingdom of God. Isn't that crazy? We, ordinary people, are who God has picked to do the renewal of all things. The renewal of hearts, the renewal of systems of injustice, the renewal of cities, renewal of the world. That happens through us. Now think about this for a minute. If you had that kind of transformative power right now, if Jesus was like, hey, I can transform anything, what in your life right now would you love to have Jesus touch or wink at and transform? Where in your life, where in relational, in relationships, in your workplace, perhaps is there a negative habit that if you're like, look, Jesus, if you would touch this and miraculously transform it, that would be awesome. And your spouse and roommates is like, yeah, we would love that too. (laughs) Is it a negative pattern of thinking? A way of thinking that you're like, I would love to be free from this. Now, I have heard that happen on occasion. We do believe in miraculous transformation. And I have heard of stories, and maybe you're one of them, where you were addicted to alcohol or drugs or whatever, and you met Jesus, and immediately the craving was gone. That does happen. However... That's not how it usually happens for most of us, is it? You know, one of our three goals as a church, as Trey just said, is to become like Jesus. But the question is, how? Like, how does that transformation happen? Is it the instantaneous water to wine? Or is there another path of transformation? Our question that we want to begin with is, how does Jesus transform our lives? Now hold that thought. We are in the last teaching of a series called Knowing God, the Seven I Am Statements of Jesus. And what we've done is looked at John's Gospel where there's a sign like this miraculous sign that we just talked about. That, by the way, the water to wine is the first sign in the Gospel of John. So we're looking at a sign and then we're connecting it to an I Am statement. So for today, the sign is water to wine And the statement is, I am the vine. So think about that. John chapter two, he does this miraculous sign, but then much later, John chapter 15, as his disciples have traveled with Jesus for a pretty long time, he then tells them, I am the vine. So what's the link between John two, the sign, and John 15, the statement? Well, the most obvious link between the two is the vine. Wine is the fruit of the vine. So I'm assuming that when Jesus' disciples are with him and he says, I am the vine, and he starts talking about the vine and growing grapes and all this kind of stuff, it probably awakens something, oh yeah, that's crazy, right? He's saying he's the vine. Remember that time when he made the wine? I think that probably triggered something in their minds. 
Second link between these two, I think, is transformation. Water to wine is an instantaneous transformation. But then, what we're going to see Jesus teach about today is the work of transformation in our own lives. There is a link in how Jesus takes the ordinary and turns it into extraordinary. Water to wine. But now, he's telling his disciples, I'm going to do this kind of transformation in you. In your very lives. Normal people connected to Jesus in the vine that will do extraordinary things. But again, the question is, how? How does the transformation take place? Well, let's look to the text. If you have a Bible, please open to John 15. If you're not there already, this is gonna be our text for the day. You can keep your finger in it. John chapter 15. Are you guys there? there. Trey's there. All right, let's go. I am the true vine, Jesus says. My father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so it'll be even more fruitful. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit and apart from me, you can do nothing. So again, the setting here, this is one of Jesus' final moments with his disciples. He's about to go to the cross. He knows it. So he's preparing them. He's like, look, of all the things that I need you to know before I'm gone, think about this. He's been with them physically every day for a long period of time and he's about to be gone. These are his kind of like last words, last instructions to them. And he says, this is what you need to know. You need to understand this. And he goes on, I am the vine. You are the branches. Now, we're gonna put a picture up, just if you don't know, if you don't, if, well, it's not that actually, it's the slide that, that's the, that's the, the website of the slide of the picture of the vine and the branches. My bad. The guy running slides is shaking his head at me. Google vine and branches and find an image if you can. Otherwise, let me explain it to you. My bad. If you have never grown a grapevine, if you are not a horticulturist, you're not a, what's it called, a vine dresser? If you're not a farmer, if you're like me and you live in the city of Portland, let me explain to you without an image what Jesus is talking about. He says, I am the vine. And when he says, I'm the vine, he's talking about the vertical part of the plant. He could have said, I am the trunk. It would have sound way less cool, but that is in essence what it is. The part of the plant that's rooted in the dirt and grows up. Then off the top, like a T, come the branches. Jesus says, I'm the vine. Hey, but now do it without the web address. I'm sorry. That's seriously my bad. It's on me. <laughs> Is there any way to make, we can see down the trunk of that at all? Like move that. Anyways, okay. We're getting closer. I can work with this. You see the trunk, you see the horizontal parts coming off it and a lot of great fruit. That's enough, take it down. (laughs) 
So the branches are what the fruit grows on. Trunk, branch, fruit. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The point is clear. He's the life source. If they're not connected to him, they'll die. He's saying, remain dependent, remain connected to me. Desperately dependent, constantly connected. Now that's a good start, right? That's an encouraging teaching. Are you with me? Jesus is like, you're connected to me. I'm your life source. You're going to be a branch that's going to have beautiful fruit. I can imagine the disciples are like, this is good. I feel good. Then he says, verse 2, my father is the gardener. So Jesus, opening up a little bit of Trinitarian theology, he talks about his father all the time. He says, my father's like the gardener. He cuts off, he prunes. Now this feels a little bit less warm and fuzzy, but it makes sense in terms of horticulture, doesn't it? In terms of gardening. Branches can grow wildly and aggressively in all kinds of directions. But if you cut them back, you remove the excess growth, then what it actually does is it focuses and concentrates the growth of fruit into one specific part of the branch. All the nourishing sap can go to a few fruits that will be really good rather than diluted into all the excess fruit going in all directions. Now, N.T. Wright in his commentary admits that he knows nothing about gardening, but then he says this. I don't know much about gardening, but I can prune roses. Someone told me how when I was young and I've never forgotten. That's great, this guy's a Bible scholar, but he knows how to prune roses. Someone told him how when he was younger. In fact, I not only know how to do it, I even know why, well, more or less. See, a rose bush, similar to a grape vine, left to itself will get straggly and tangled and grow in on itself. It will produce quite a lot of not so good roses rather than a smaller number of splendid ones. It will quite literally get in its own light. It needs help to grow in the right directions and to the right ends. In Jesus' words, the gardener prunes the branch so that it will be even more fruitful. So you are those branches. Jesus is like, here's how it works. Vine, me, branch, you, father, gardener. And we're all working together for one goal. And the goal is fruit. Now, there's a lot of metaphor here. There's metaphor upon metaphor. But what does Jesus mean by fruit? Let's just look to the Bible for a minute. And let's frame our mind. When he, Jesus is talking about fruit, what does he actually mean? Titus chapter 3, verse 14 in the New Testament Paul writes to this young leader and says, and let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help um, cases in urgent need and not to be unfruitful. Notice the parallel here. For Paul, good works, like helping those in need, works of justice, is parallel to fruit. So Paul's saying, hey, you know what? You should be people... And telling a young pastor, Titus, you should be teaching your people to be people who are doing good works, therefore bearing a lot of fruit. Ephesians 2.10, Paul, talking to another congregation, says this. 
For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You, Bridgetown family, were created to do good works. You were created, in Jesus' language, to bear fruit. And listen, God is committed to his kingdom project. He's committed to the renewal of all things, to his kingdom coming in Portland as it is in heaven. And what's totally crazy to me is he's chose us to do that. And he's also committed to transforming you by any means necessary to partner with him in these good kingdom works. And by the way, I've learned and I'm continuing to learn that that's the most joyous place that I ever am. When I'm on the edge of like, this is gonna be either really embarrassing or really awesome, that's the good space. The space I wanna be is places like Alpha, like Inner Healing Prayer, like prayer ministry down here where we're basically saying, God, if you don't show up here, it's not gonna work at all. But if you show up, it's gonna be beautiful. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about good works. God partnering with the living God to see his kingdom come. That's where I wanna be. So here are Jesus' final words to his disciples. He is trying to set them up for just like, guys, this is how life works. I'm about to leave. It's gonna be harder to ask me questions. Let me tell you how life is. He's the vine, they're the branches. There will be cutting, there will be pruning, but it's for your good, for the good fruit that's to come in your lives. Now, when my daughter Miriam was in the third grade, eight years old, do we have a picture of her? She broke her arm. Little cutie was on the playground, walking on a ledge. I was talking to her about this the other day, and she's like, Dad, I wish I had broke my arm snowboarding or skateboarding, but I fell off a ledge. So, you know, you take what you can get. So she was at school, she fell off this ledge, she broke her arm, she's in wild pain. The school calls my wife Jenny, gets a hold of her. I'm at the church office and Jenny's like, hey, I'm rushing to go pick up Miriam. I guess, where do you go? We have a first broken bone, where do we go? I guess I'm going to the ER. And I'm like, okay, babe, well, I'm at the office. You got this? She's like, I got it. And uh, she takes Miriam to the ER and uh, my sister gave us a tip, which was, listen, if she's in a lot of pain, have her howl. You will be seen more quickly. If you work in the ER, I'm sorry. That's what my sister told us to do, and so we did that. So anyway, she's howling in pain. She gets in. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if you ever, if, I don't know, some of you guys do this professionally or you've broken something before, you know that when the arm is or whatever's broken, you just wrap it, give some painkiller and you have to wait. I asked Dr. Peter to confirm all of this. You cannot put a cast on immediately because of the swelling. So you have to wait a couple days to put on the cast. So Jenny was, a, was an amazing mom, takes her daughter through this whole process. And then um, as it turns out, uh, a few days later, we scheduled the appointment to go back in to put the cast on with the orthopedic uh, doctor and Jenny had a trip planned and she's out of town. So I'm thinking, I got the easy shift. She had to go, you know, sit in the ER room with the daughter howling in pain and all that kind of stuff. I'm gonna go take her to get the cast. So Miriam and I are on the way, some of you know what's coming. Miriam and I are on the way to get the cast put on and on the way there, we're like, this is gonna be fun. What color cast do you wanna get? 
How long do you think you're going to wear the cast? You know, like who gets to sign it first? You know, just the stuff you think about when you're going to get the cast. So um, we go in, we see the doctor, we sit down. He unwraps the, you know, the wrap. He looks at it. And then he says, you know, um, to get this to heal right, I'm going to have to tweak on your arm a little bit. And I look at Matt like, wait, what? <laughs> and then he didn't really pause much and he began to do it. And he takes her broken arm and he is bending it. And as he's bending it, she, Miriam, my eight-year-old, is not looking at him. She's looking at me. <laughs> and the look in her tear-filled eyes is, I trusted you. Why are you letting him do this to me? And as she's looking at me, I'm thinking, where is Jenny? I should not be the one in this office right now. This was a total, I should have been the one that took her to the ER. Now here's the thing. That had to happen to Miriam's arm in order to get it to heal properly. For the maximum strength, he had to bend it, create that, that discomfort. And I learned something that day. Sometimes the one you trust the most allows some temporary pain for your growth. Let me say that again. Sometimes the one you trust the most must allow temporary pain for your growth. This family is what Jesus calls pruning. Back to the text, verse two. Jesus says, the gardener, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now, this is interesting. Cuts off the branch. This, this could be a little confusing at first. Maybe you've thought about this before. Does this mean that Jesus' disciples, believers like you and I, are going to be cut off from God if we don't have fruit? That we're going to lose salvation or maybe we never had it in the first place? If you don't have any good works to show, he's like, well, that's it. You're out. That's actually not what it is. I think the key here is that Jesus says these branches are in him. Every branch in me. See, the New Testament talks about those who are in Christ as being believers, children of God, adopted in, family, forgiven, with no condemnation. See, Jesus is talking about his followers here, like you and I, who in a given season, maybe stuck and struggling, maybe wrestling with sin, maybe in a negative pattern, and in that season, we are showing no fruit in our lives. The cutting off of the branch is God's discipline in love. See, if your life bears no fruit, if you're a believer in Christ and you're bearing no fruit, there's no signs of good works in your life at all, it's probably because sin or some kind of destructive habit has gotten in the way. This happens to everyone at times. And because God loves you, because he's your heavenly father, he will step in with discipline. And notice, this is not punishment. All punishment for sin was taken by Jesus on the cross. That's why Jesus was able to say, it is finished. God's discipline isn't punishment, it's an appeal to life. 
God will do whatever he can to rescue you from the death that sin brings. And listen, he doesn't need to bring punishment because the punishment of sin is sin itself. Sin punishment, sin punishes, but God corrects, steps in, and offers you life. This is love. God the Father will not let you keep going in a dangerous direction. If necessary, he will use painful measures, like the doctor with the arm, to bring you back so your life can bear abundant fruit. He's committed to it. He's more committed to fruit in your lives than you are. See, usually when God disciplines, there's something in our lives that's harmful that we're either unable or unwilling to deal with ourselves. So he steps in for our good, like a good father, full of grace and forgiveness. And we see this throughout the scripture. Deuteronomy 8, 5 says this, as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord disciplines you. Like a good parent, God will intervene in your life in love for your own good. Hebrews 12, the author of Hebrews says it this way. My son, my daughter, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as a son. He's saying discipline is because of love. It actually means God cares for you. He loves you. He's invested in you. So what does this discipline look like? Well, I know this has never happened to anyone here in this room, but I cannot tell you how many times I've talked to someone that has said, yeah, I thought I was logged out of my laptop, but my spouse opened it up And there was my browser history of all the porn sites I'd been looking at. And it's usually followed up by this next statement, which is, and you know what, if I'm honest, I knew I needed help, but I was in too much shame. I didn't know how to broach that conversation and ask for help. So in the end, I mean, it was bad, but in the end, it actually was just what I needed. Listen, Sometimes things come to light. You get exposed, you get caught because God wants to help you. This is a wake-up call. That's what he's talking about here when Jesus says there's the cutting off of the branches. And honestly, sometimes God's greatest mercy on us is when he brings our darkness into the light. His purpose is to help you, to free you from sin so you can live an abundant life. And sometimes he deals severely with branches when they need it. So family, let's just slow down for a moment and let me ask you the question. Are you stuck? Do you need help? Because if that's you right now, I've seen this go in one of two directions. Something comes to light and someone says, well, you know what? Screw it. I'm already in too deep. You know how embarrassing, you know how shameful, you know what I have to go back and do? I'm out. Hardness of heart. The other direction you can go is gonna be more painful, but it's gonna be the direction of life. It's called telling the truth. 
It's being honest and saying, you know what? If I'm honest, I need help. I'm stuck. I've tried this on my own and I can't get out of this. I'm in this weird cycle and I keep doing this thing I don't wanna do. Family, if that's you, I just want you to know we're a leadership team that has been through that same journey. We have a family of community leaders here that can help you. Your community leader, I sat with them the other night. They're good people. I trust them. And so can you. We have spaces here for healing, for recovery. And, and these are our stories too. We want to help you, but it's up to you. Now, less severe, less heavy. Let's all take a deep breath. That was the heaviest part of the day. Everybody relax, shake it off. Some of you are like, I'm gonna go to the bathroom and then I'm gonna leave. <laughs> less severe, more common than discipline and cutting is pruning. Jesus says the second part of verse two, look back at the text. Verse two, Jesus says, every branch that does bear fruit, does have good works, he prunes. Now remember this from N.T. Wright and Pruning the Roses. Pruning makes space for more and better fruit. The gardener takes away some of the good branches to concentrate all of the nourishment into a choice few. So let me ask you this. Have you had anything even good in your life that's recently been taken away? Think about that for a minute. Was there a promotion that you wanted? Perhaps a job that you wanted and you didn't get? Was there a school you didn't get into, a program that you thought you'd be a perfect candidate for and you got denied? Was there a relationship that you were hoping would go somewhere and it didn't? So we have to ask, why do these things happen, right? Some are just the result of sin. We live in a fallen world. They're not all pruning, but some of the things that have been taken out of your life recently in my life are actually making space for something better. So hang on, you may be asking, are you saying then that God took away my child? That God gave me cancer to teach me a lesson? Hear me clearly, not at all. Jesus, if you notice in the gospels, his mission is to renew and overturn and restore the works of the enemy. Jesus is healing sickness, not giving it. He's fighting the work of the enemy on our behalf. God never once is the source or cause of evil. Listen, these are the hard knocks of life. In our view and paradigm of spiritual formation, the hard knocks of life happen to all of us. They will come. Listen, you don't have to ask for pruning. Please don't. It just happens. <laughs> Everyone's affected by it. But Jesus is so good at redeeming evil that sometimes it can even look like he caused it, but he did not. Never did and never will. He recycles it beautifully. He prunes us to make room for more and for better. Now, I wanna be honest with you guys in my own life and how this has affected me. You know, a few years ago, we did a reorg of staffing roles here, and I was just in full agreement with, this, with what we were doing, and, but in that, 
Some of the staff that I was regularly meeting with, some of the ministries I was regularly connecting with that I really enjoyed got moved somewhere else. And, you know, on paper, I was like, oh, this makes sense. This is gonna be good. It's great for, the, for strategy for the staff. But then I realized like, oh, that's kind of a loss for me. Like I enjoyed connecting with these certain staff members, being part of these certain ministries, and now they were being moved out of my uh, realm. And if I'm totally honest, it hurt. It was loss. But then I noticed it opened up space for me. It's like, oh, I have a little more space. I could do some things that were in my heart and that our leadership team was dreaming about. I began to work with an amazing team here on developing inner healing prayer ministry and some other things. And in the midst of that, um, Pam McConnell, who's the chair of our board, came to me one day, it was last winter, and she said, hey, I think I have a word for you. She's like, but I, I, I haven't really done this very much. She's like, but the weirdest thing is, I thought, I had this thought for you, and then God confirmed it three times. And I was like, <laughs> I'm listening. So last winter, we sat down in my office, and she said, here's what I think God might want to say to you. Gerald, you're a pastor to pastors. And here we are, we're praying about the renewal of our city. We're praying night and day that God would renew Portland. But did we ever think for a minute it was just gonna be through Bridgetown Church? She said, I had this vision of you going around and connecting with other pastors and churches in the city so that we might be more united for what God wants to do in the days ahead. And as she said it, it had life on it. And I brought it to the elders and I was like, before I even finished explaining it to them, they were like, yes, you need to do that. So now, a year in, I get to spend just a couple hours a week, but I get to spend time with other leaders in our city and other pastors and bearing one another's burdens, learning from each other, praying with them, and dreaming together of a united citywide move of God and what God wants to do in our city in the days to come. So out of what at first was lost to me, I'm now starting to see fruit and life. And listen, what feels like pain now can yield fruit in the next season if you remain. Look at verse four. Jesus says, remain in me also as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now skip, skip down to verse nine. He ends by saying this, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, Jesus says. Now remain in my love. Interesting that the first two actions are initiated by God the Father. He cuts, he prunes, but now Jesus turns towards his disciples and family towards you today. And there's an invitation for you to action. The gardener trims, the gardener prunes. Those are his actions. Ours is to remain. It's a choice. Will you remain in him? To abide in Jesus. To abide in his love. And to abide just simply means to spend time with Jesus. It's our goal, number one as a church, to be with Jesus. That's abiding. This is what we here call prayer. That's why we do this daily prayer rhythm of connecting in the morning, midday, 
and the evening. We're trying to be people who stay connected to Jesus and his love all day long. And what's interesting is he says here, as the Father has loved me. So think about this for a minute. In your mind, in your imagination, imagine the relationship, the Trinitarian community of love, Father, Son, Spirit. The Father, the most loving being in the universe, loves the Son, who is arguably the most lovable person in the universe. And theologians have said that the love between the Father and the Son is so strong, it is a person, the Holy Spirit of love. That dynamic of love is the center of all existence. Before anything was created, there was a Father loving a Son, the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. It's a lot of love. And we've learned in these Beautiful words that all of that love, all the love that the Father has directed towards the Son is the same love that Jesus has directed towards you. Now listen, all these I am statements we've learned in this series can be and are life-changing. But it's not enough to know that Jesus is the shepherd and the gate and the light and the way if we don't know his love. After all that we have learned, remain in his love. Do whatever you need to do to stay connected and reminded of the love. So, back to our original question. How does God bring transformation in our lives? I think what Jesus is saying is that it's through pain, loss, and the hard knocks of life. The father cuts off some branches. He prunes others to shape us into our true selves so that we will bear much fruit. And listen, in the end, grapes are harvested, crushed, strained, fermented to become good wine. And so it is with our lives too. This is what God does. He's transforming you into something extraordinary in him. And here at Bridgetown, we um, live out everything that we teach through practices through our communities during the week. So the practice this week, and we're gonna do a little bit of this this morning, is to try and name, as you're partnering and listening to the Spirit of God even now, trying to name what kind of season am I in with the gardener right now? And based on that, what might the invitation be for me? So think about it. What kind of season with this paradigm do you feel like you're currently in? And, and let me just clarify something. You cannot do this kind of work of figuring out, is this, is this discipline, is this pruning? Am I just in a sweet season of remaining? You can't do that on your own. You have to do that in community. It's like spiritual direction. You have to be able to share with another and say, hey, here's what I'm experiencing. What do you think that is? Some of you think you're being pruned all the time, constantly. You're not. You need to be pruned of that, okay? So we... <laughs> That's a word for somebody. We, we figure that out in community. Has he been cutting branches? Are you experiencing the strong hand of discipline in your life? If so, don't let your heart grow hard. Ask for help. Tell the truth. Don't wait. Do that now. Are you in a season of pruning? 
Are you in the midst of disappointment or loss? Has something been removed? The invitation for you might be to trust him. He knows what he's doing. He removes it to make space for more. So what might he be making room for? This might be for some in the room, uh, just a realization, a revelation that something actually was moved and you're realizing it's because he's clearing space for something new. This could be an invitation for you to begin to dream with him. Or is this just a season to keep abiding? To intentionally keep pressing in closer and closer. God promises, draw near to me. Can you finish it? And all draw near to you. That's a promise. Some need to just lean into that. We're entering into Lent, a season where we voluntarily give things up. We voluntarily prune to make space for more of him. We take things like wine or dessert or social media and we put it aside for the 40 days of Lent to intentionally press in closer to Jesus. That's part of what we're doing at 24-7 prayer room during Lent. Maybe you need to try our daily prayer rhythm for connection. Whatever it is, press in. Keep abiding. Would you go ahead and stand? I want to end with a prayer that I want to read out over you, written by Richard Foster. And I love the way that he frames this idea of Jesus being the gardener, the Father being the gardener of my soul. Allow me to read this prayer over you. Spirit of the living God, be the gardener of my soul. For so long I've been waiting, silent and still, experiencing a winter of the soul, but now, in the strong name of Jesus Christ, I dare to ask, clear away the dead growth of the past. Break up the hard clods of custom and routine. Stir in the rich compost of vision and challenge. Bury deep in my soul the implanted word. Cultivate and water and tend my heart until new life buds and opens and flowers.